Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. So Tim, you had the conversation this week and you spoke with Arthur Smith, who is the chairman of A. Smith & Co. Productions. Um, But he has a pretty cool history in reality TV. Um, Before we get into the interview, what are some of the shows that he's been a part of? Yeah, so he's done Hell's Kitchen for Fox with Gordon Ramsay, uh, American Ninja Warrior for NBC, Titan Games for NBC with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and then Floor is Lava for Netflix. Got it. So he has definitely been in a lot of different, like I guess, production uh, situations before. He's been on a lot of sets, I'm sure. But I'm curious like, if you guys talked about how the pandemic affected um, you know, in-person production, especially with reality TV and, and, you know, I'm guessing a lot of different contestants that have to come into the mix. You know, what did he say about the return to, you know, in-person productions? Yeah, it's basically like as not quite as quickly as like everything came to a halt, did everything pick back up, but somewhat um, like, you know, they had six shows that were about to go to production into production when the pandemic hit in March 2020. Um, but then by July of that year, um, they were able to get those shows into production, obviously, with, you know, all kinds of adjustments and, you know, COVID related changes. They had to do, you know, a bubble, for example, um, in St. Louis for that season of American Ninja Warrior. But in the last year, they've produced like more than 200 hours worth of programming um and he you know talks about how they just wrapped two seasons of hell's kitchen so while there are still some changes and some changes that like are probably here to stay like he talks about how a lot of the post-production workflow like editing has gone remote and will probably maintain some remote capabilities or something of a hybrid model um a lot of what goes into production today um is fairly normal Mm. thankfully Got it. Awesome. Well, I'll let you guys get into it. I'm excited to hear about, I don't know, maybe some of the behind the scenes stuff around Hell's Kitchen. That's particularly interesting to me, but I'll let you take it away. Cool. Thanks, Keeler. Arthur Smith, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, My pleasure, Tim. Looking forward to uh, our discussion. Absolutely. So, Arthur, you have 40 years of experience in the production business, but I imagine the past, like nothing like the past two years. And so I want to be careful about going back to March 2020 because in my mind, I don't like going back to March 2020 too much. But how is the state of production as as well as the state of development different now in March 2022 compared to where it was in March 2020 and prior to the pandemic? Uh, Well, there was nothing quite like March 2020, that's for sure. And there was a point uh, between March and I suppose July where we were we were stuck in neutral, you know, we couldn't produce anything. And, you know, everyone thought we were coming back, you know, (laughs) we we all thought we were coming back in the summer and back in the office and everything else like that. And in that period of time, you know, um, once it was clear that we weren't coming back to the office and production wasn't going forward, we actually had six shows that were about to go in, in, in March, April, and May. And so those six shows were completely frozen. And American Ninja Warrior, um, the day that the NBA canceled um, their season, 
was the day that we were supposed to start shooting in Los Angeles. We were all set up, all ready to go. And um, we canceled it as well. And uh, so we were all set up. Crowd was there. Announcers were on set. And we sent everybody home. Um, but the one thing that the one thing that we did right away is we had our internal committee made up of our exec in charge of productions, who I'm so proud of because uh, they pulled off um, a few miracles along the way. Um, and we had this we had this discussion, and I said to them that we have to solve it. We have to find a way to get our shows produced again. We have to create bubbles. We have to create safety measures. We have to look after our people. Safety first, but we've got to get these shows going. And um, and that's exactly what we did. We came up with solutions. And, uh, you know, I was very proud that all six of those shows got back into production as early as July, with Ninja being the first of the first of any major network event show to go into production. And we did it differently. You know, we shot in one place. We shot in a dome stadium in St. Louis because all the dome stadiums were available at the time because nothing was happening. And um, we got the show, we got the show done and we created our own bubble and it was all very safe. And, you know, listen, there was, you know, there's been so many eras of this thing. There was, that was all, that was the pre-vaccine era. <laughs> that was like, just be really careful and stay away and wash your hands and wear masks. And so, you know, we followed the protocols and, uh, our, you know, our own set of protocols, NBC, um, you know, uh, was very, uh, we were lockstep with NBC, but we had to show to them, you know, our plan. It was a, it was a white paper on all the things that we were going to do to protect. So we got it done. And those six shows happened. And, 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 and they were, the interesting thing is that those shows were all different. I mean, it was American Ninja Warrior, which is a big event competition show. It was Welcome to Plathville, which is a docu-soap on TLC. It was, uh, American Gangster, which is a documentary. Um, it was Men of Samurai, which we shot in Portugal. And there's the whole story behind why we went to Portugal to shoot it. Um, and so we had a game show, a, a, a competition show, a docu-soap, a documentary. So all these different genres got done. Um, there was also Ellen Design, um, Ellen's Next Great Designer, which we were doing for HBO Max, a reality competition show, another genre. So you know, we found our way and got all those shows done. And really, ever since July of 2020, um, we're making shows again. We're, and we're making shows at the level that we were making them, um, you're, you know, in 2019. You know, we just shot two seasons of Hell's Kitchen. We just did season 21 and 22. Now, I will tell you <laughs> that there are, on every one of these productions, there are major safety protocols Um on how we get the shows done. And uh, Hell's Kitchen, we were tested every single day. We, we put our, um, our contestants flew in two weeks, or our chefs, I should say, flew in two weeks early and were in quarantine in a hotel to make sure that when they entered Hell's, they were safe. So, sorry, it's a really long answer. But there were a few questions in there. There were a few questions in there, sorry. Yep. But uh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's uh, in some ways it's, Really, the, the, at least the, the, um, the amount of production and the types of production are, it, it is essentially back to normal. But like I said, it was only a few months. It was really from, you know, March until July when we weren't actually shooting something. You know, we were, 
So obviously we had stuff in post and, and, and those were, there were other hurdles there. So I, I, like I said, I'm so proud and so impressed with, you know, um, you know, our, our exec in charge of Shea Cornwall and Kristen Stabile, who are two incredible women who, who managed to get us back into production. Um, and, um, like I said, I, I, as I, as I said to you before, we had to figure it out. We, we took it upon ourselves to figure it out and then went to the networks and, and um, it's not just our company, obviously. I'm proud of the industry for what the industry has done to be able to get back into production. So, um, so yeah, things are things are things are things are good. You know, it's like I I say that things are functional, but they're not optimal. They're not. They're not. But uh, but uh, but they're but they're really good. And and uh, and the shows look like um, they weren't shot during a pandemic. They just look like shows. Right. And that seems to have been the like the major goal of everyone is even now behind the camera may not look the same as, you know, pre March 2020. But OK, everything that appears on screen can. I, I will tell you in full disclosure or, you know, is is that the only thing the only thing that is different and and and, ha- and has evolved is the audience is having an audience or not having an audience. And an in-person so, audience. Yeah, an in-person audience. Got it. So that's the thing. But now we have them again, you know, but we didn't have them at the beginning. Ninja this year is back to having an audience. And uh, Ninja in uh, July did not have an audience. But we, we found other ways. We did our, you know, our massive screens and had the audiences watching at home and, you know, to give that energy. And uh, but that's that's the thing that has evolved is getting audiences back. Yeah, I remember it was probably actually a year ago this time talking to some um, reality producers who were saying how far things had come in terms of, you know, the return getting back to a sense of normalcy. But for them, that last leg was going to be when we can have these big live audiences to shoot in front of. You mentioned with uh, Mental Samurai, you all had to move to shoot in Portugal and that there's a story there. I love stories. Well, I mean, it's... um LA was LA at that time, um, which was September, October. Uh, Mental Summer was, was supposed to be shot in, uh, shot in April of 2020. So that was one of the shows that got put on hold. We had the order from the network. We had Rob Lowe ready to go. And we were trying to figure out how do we make this show? So, um, you know, LA was in a was, was not in a good situation when it came to COVID at that time. You know, it was just it, it, there were a lot of issues in LA. There was a lot of cases. There was, you know, it just wasn't a good time. And one of the things about Samurai is that format has traveled around the world. It's been sold around the world. And there's an exact duplicate of our set in, um, in Portugal. (laughs) And, uh, the only thing that we always had in our possession was the, the robotic arm, the fan. So, cause we had control of it. So we said, if we could ship the arm to Portugal, (laughs) And, Wait, how big's the arm? Uh, I mean, it's massive. I mean, it's you know, it's I I it, I I don't know the exact dimensions, but the robotic. I mean, you know the show, right? It's a you know the person's in a capsule swinging around the set. Yeah, it's it's not something where you're buying an extra airplane. Yeah, and it, and and you know, it's um, yeah, it's it's so so we ship we ship the arm to um, to Lisbon yeah, um, and um, uh, not by air, by boat, <laughs> and. Uh, and then we um, we used a um, essentially a, a Portuguese Spanish crew, and 
we flew in roughly a hundred American contestants from all over America. And, and we created a bubble in Portugal and uh, Lisbon at the time was safer than LA. And, uh, and we got it done. So, yeah. And that kind of hits on you know, something. Um, Cause a, one thing I've been interested in with, you know, production returning and, to whatever extent it's getting back to the old normal or, you know, settling into a new normal. Cause I think there are some changes that the industry is like, uh, you know, masks, we would like to, you know, eventually not have to wear masks. I, as just a person in the world would like to eventually not have to wear masks, but there are some changes that everyone's had to make over the past two years, where it's just like, Oh, this is actually for the better. And like when we're hopefully through this pandemic, this can stay like, you know, for example, just getting food delivery orders just dropped off at the door and me not having to open the door and all that. But with production, one of the things seems to have been everyone's made all of these contacts um, in different locations. And so now you have crews or directors or other, you know, crew members that you can now contact in Lisbon, for example, and, you know, all the remote capabilities in place. Like, how has that all carried over to this point in time where, like, so many of the other restrictions and limitations have eased? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's opened up our eyes to what is possible. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think that, you know, we've, we've all looked at ways of doing things differently. And now, you know, the idea, you know, when you get an order from a television show, your first instinct is, isn't to say, oh, I'm going to go shoot this in Portugal, right? So, but now you start to think about where is the best place in the world to make the show? And maybe it's, maybe it's more efficient to do it in, in another location. Um, so I, I, I agree. I think there are, there are a number of, you know, ways that we've learned how to do things. And, um, and I think a lot of those things will stick. And, one of the big things is is remote editing. Um, you know, we um, we had just finished the Titan Games with Dwayne Johnson in February, <laughs> and um, and it was interesting because there was a couple people on the crew who got really really sick during the run, and I think they had COVID. We didn't know. We thought they had the flu, and they they were out for they were out for a few days, but we didn't know you know enough about COVID to know that they actually had it. And uh, but anyhow. Um, you know, we shot the show at the end of February and the show was supposed to go on, you know, way later in the year, you know, and um, this was the second season of Titan Games. And interesting, because Ninja's shoot got canceled, there was a huge hole in the summer, which we, not we created, but, you know, it, it affected one of our shows. And now we were asked, can you fill the Titan Games with the show that you were, t- that you couldn't do? And, and, um, and so we, you know, we had a full post facility set up to do the Titan Games. We were, it was the end of February. We were editing as, as normal. And, and they said, well, we really want the show on, um, in May. And we were like, uh, wait a second. How do we, how do we do this? And, and, um, very quickly. And it was one week where we were, we were trying to figure out it was very, very early. Now a lot of people are doing remote editing, but this was like right at the beginning of, of this, you know, major competition show that required a significant amount of any editing. And, um, it was one week where we were like testing the system, figuring out how to work with editors, shipping equipment to editors, figuring out a central place to work. And, and then we got going 
and and we got it done. And uh, no one no one would know that the show was edited in twenty five homes around Los Angeles, and a lot of Zoom calls where there'd be editor meetings and things like that. So um, I think that's that's um, that's something that's here to stay. And and uh, I think that you know remote editing and the ability to edit in the way that we can now. Um, it has made for opportunities for things to be turned around quicker or things to be done differently. Um, and um, it's great for the editors because a lot of them um, are happy to work from home. Um, I still, th- I still think that it's probably going to be, I think it's going to be a hybrid. Um, I think there are certain situations where you really want, the producer really wants to sit in the bay with the editor and work it through. But I think there are there. I think that's one thing that's, um, that's here to stay. And, and, you know, maybe it was coming, but I don't, I don't, I, you know, we had never done shows, you know, remotely like that. Listen, yes, we've had, we've given projects, you know, to be edited somewhere else and brought back to us and, you know, delivered back to us, but not, not a whole primetime television show completely edited, you know, um, you know, uh, remotely. So, but, but I think, I think that's, that's here to stay. And you mentioned, um, and I've talked to you know, some producers, some producers who really like having the remote editing be part of it. They like the efficiencies and the flexibility that gives them and gives their editors or the editors they can be working with. And then I've talked to others who, as you mentioned, want to be in the editing bay. They feel like that can be more efficient. It's, it can be easier to like, especially for shows that kind of require more of a collaborative approach to editing. So it seems like very much a spectrum and like a hybrid, as you mentioned, do you have a a sense on like which parts of the editing process lend themselves to being more remote and which parts kind of lend themselves more to being in person and collaborative? Yeah. I I think if it's a, you know, a documentary type of programming, I think that's very conducive to remote editing. I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, uh, a major team of editors working on a project. Um, I think when it's, it's, it's a show like the Titan games or even Ninja, I think it's a hybrid because I think there's certain sections of the show. Um, you know, we're doing it right now with Hell's Kitchen. We're editing it remotely. I, I personally think it'd be better, <laughs> um, if it was at the very least a hybrid because, because there's storylines and there are times when you want to walk down the hall or bring two editors who are doing, you know, he's doing act four and he's doing act five and it, there's storylines and, you know, listen, you can, it's, it's fun. As I said, it's, it's functional. You can get on a zoom and say, you know, where are you? But it's like, you know, come into my bay and let me show you. Now you can do that on zoom also. It's just, it's just different. It's to me, it's like, um, there are certain aspects of our business that, that I miss, um, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, I've been working a lot from home, mostly from home, other than when I'm on location is the times when you walk down the hallway to make a suggestion. Now you got to set up an appointment. Now you got to track them down. It's, it's like everything's by appointment. And, and, and I also feel that one of the things that is lost, especially in, in our collaborative business is, um, is the education of the young people is, just not as good as it was because, you know, come on and join me in a meeting, you know, come on and sit in on this or listen in on my call or, you know, those opportunities, you don't do that 
when you're working, you don't, you don't do that when you're working from home. You just don't, you know, it's like, uh, and for me, I, I know, cause you know, one of the things I love about our business is the collaboration. It's the thing that got me, uh, into this business. I just love, I love people. I love, I love the process and everything like that. And, um, I mean, every time I, every time I go to the bathroom at my office on the way back, I'm usually stopping by at someone's office. <laughs> you know, I'm usually stopping by and say, so what's happening? You know, how's your mother? And then how's the project and what is happening and everything else like that. And those exchanges are gone. I mean, you, I, I try to, you know, we all try to stay connected, but it's just not the same. And you, you don't, and you don't realize how much time you actually do this, you know? Um, um, and, and like I said, I, I think, um, I think the younger people in our business are, 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 are missing out on that. And, uh, but, but hopefully soon we'll be back. We're planning on, we're planning on going back to the office really soon. So hopefully we'll be back soon. And are, are there things that you can be doing to kind of make up for that to bring like, especially younger workers or people who are newer to the industry? Cause it's not only like younger workers, but I mean, over the past you know few years, the industry has also really needed to reckon with the fact that it wasn't very diverse. There weren't enough people of color. There weren't enough women and especially not only, you know, overall, but in, you know, higher positions as well. And given the opportunities to develop and get into those higher positions, to what extent has any of that changed? Well, you know, I mean, part of, um, you know, part of addressing any issue or any um, problem or is knowing that there are issues like, you know, how do we continue to educate and how do we so, you know, we're attacking it in a variety of, in a variety of ways. And a lot of it is zooming and a lot of it is getting together. And a lot of it is finding ways that we stay in touch with our, with our young people. And, uh, you know, um, as a company, you know, um, uh, I am very proud of, of our, uh, diversity and, and, and all the things that we try to do, um, uh, you know, we, we've been involved with the, uh, I, I hope I don't get the name wrong, the Handy organization. Um, which, um, is an organization that brings along young African American editors into the system as trainees and things like that. And, um, you know, a big part of our portfolio is programming that, um, you know, um, appeals to African American audiences like, like Unsung, which has won the NAACP award seven times. And, um, and there's, you know, there's a number of other things. We just did a, um, a doc series, which I'm very proud of for own um and discovery plus called profiled the black man which is which is about myth all uh, you know myths that are associated with black men and um uh with our partner was uh beyonce knowles uh, uh not beyonce tina knowles beyonce's mother um and um so yeah i mean you know this has been a direction from us for a long time considering all the stuff that we do and uh you know it's um yeah it's it's it's, it's a priority with us and i'm you know, um, I, uh, you know, like I said, it's something that we're very conscious of and, 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 and we'll continue to try to be the leader in that, in, 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 in that way. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. And then on like the talent front and, you know, cast and crew members, I remember March, 2020 talking to a lot of below the line workers who were, concerned am i gonna have to leave the industry i'm I, you know all of my jobs evaporated overnight but i still have rent or a mortgage or kids to look after is this kind of it for me i think 
a good number have come back. Some have left out of necessity, but um, but then there's also you know from that you know summer 2020 through last year, it, things kind of flipped in the other way, where like so many projects got back into production. The, as much as production went on hiatus, the development market did not seem to go on hiatus whatsoever. That it went to there was just a crunch and so much competition for getting cast, getting crew members. What do you make of the market? Like, how are you finding talent crews um, in particular right now, and to what extent there is a shortage or a surplus? I think I think you're right. I think you know that period that I was talking about, you know, between uh, July of 2020, when we had six shows that were supposed to be spread out across the year, um, that they all got crunched. Basically, between July and like September, October, we were going nuts with all the stuff that we had going on, and um, and I think that was a crazy period of time. I think now it's I think it's kind of back to normal now. I think it's pretty much spread out. Yes, there's always. Um, you know, demand for, for quality cast and crew and everything else like that. But I think it's, uh, I think it sorted itself out. I think we're now, uh, more into a normal pattern. Now, with all that being said, it's not, it's not COVID that's causing the crunch. It's really the amount of programming or the amount of money being spent on inscripted programming because of, you know, what is going on with the streamers and what the networks and cable networks continue to do. And there's more demand um, for programming, which is great, <laughs> which is great for a company like ours. And, and you know, we're we're enjoying it. I think it's uh, I think it's probably harder to produce a hit television show um, now than it than it's ever been. But I think there are more opportunities to to do it. I mean, I feel like you all had one with Flores Lava in particular, like being a newer one, like Hell's Kitchen, American Ninja Warrior. Obviously, those are hits, but those have been hits for decades at this point. Um, what goes into figuring out whether something's going to be a hit? Or, I mean, even let's just have the packaging conversation because packaging is such a different aspect of the pitch process today. And I think, you know, this was the case already and, you know, 2015, 2018 time period, but I imagine it's probably even more acute at this point in 2022. Yeah. As far as, I mean, as far as packaging goes, I mean, you know, I, I, well, let me say that I believe that, you know, when you're starting to create a show and as you know, we work across a number of genres. It's very, you know, Welcome to Plathville is very different than Flores Lava, which is very different than Hells, which is very different than Ninja. And, you know, so one of the one of the joys of our company is that we get to work in such a wide variety of areas across you know all these genres. Um, but the the thing that I always think about, and 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 uh, I'm like a broken I can't say broken record anymore because nobody listens to broken records. But um, but the uh, the thing that I keep thinking about, or I or I always say to my to my to my staff is, you know, every show needs to have four elements, and one is great casting, great format, great execution, and freshness, you know, a freshness of an idea. And I believe our genre more than ever needs, you know, fresh ideas. And, uh, and, and you know, it's a genre that always took risks. And, you, you know, you refer to Hells, which is now in its 20, we just did shot season 21 and season 22. Uh, it's now in post. And Ninja, which is going to season 14. Um, they were risks back then. 
they were big risk. I mean, there had there had been no food shows on network television that had worked, and no one knew who Gordon was Ramsay was in America. And Ninja, you know, was was an act of synergy that that it ended up on NBC. It was a G four show, and you know, when Comcast had bought NBC, we asked the network just to put on our finale, never thinking that we'd be doing thirty plus hours of primetime television. And so they were both risk, but so was. So was Dancing with Stars, and so was The Masked Singer. And so, uh, you know, I mean, there's, that's our business. And it's like the, you know, the, the exciting thing of, 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 of coming up with something fresh and original. It's what the audience wants. It's the thing that gets, and now more than ever, you need to do it to get the attention. Um, packaging always makes people feel better. You know, to me, um, I always think the idea is king. Of course, like I said, you need all those other elements. Um, the question is, do you, how much of a package do you, do you go out with? You know, do you, cause sometimes you could package a talent that the network's really not interested in for a reason. So you have to weigh the benefits of it. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think I answered your question, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it leads me to another question of, I mean, you do deals with TV networks as well as with streaming services. What are you finding in terms of trends with regard to the types of projects that, the networks and the streamers are interested in and to what extent like they're interested in the same types of projects or if there are differences between the two groups. Yeah. I mean, there, there are certain projects that everybody's interested in and then there are certain projects that are unique to the platform or the network that you're pitching to. So we have basically, uh, you know, um, our, our goals for each of those places and, and, uh, and in our development, it's, it's very defined. It's very defined. And sometimes it's a one network or one platform idea. It could only work on this network. And it's always, you know, it's funny thing as a producer, you always, you know, there is a tendency to not want to develop things that only work for one place because you, you spend all this time and, and money, uh, developing something and then, it, it only works in one place and you only have one shot at it. And, um, you know, so there's always a tendency to go, oh, it's, oh, it's only going to work. Well, let's develop something that'll work in a number of places. So we have a number of chances. But the truth of the matter is, is if you hit the nail on the head, I don't, Welcome to Plathville is a TLC show. I don't see it anywhere else but TLC. It was developed especially for TLC. And sometimes that's a better way to go. And it's, it's I know it's something that, like I said, it, as a, you know, uh, having a production company for over 20 years, it's, 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 it's a thing that we, um, evolved to, you know, it wasn't the way we used to think, but, but because there are very specific needs at certain places and the, or the brands are so clearly defined, sometimes that is a better way to go to get an actual sale. The other, the other thing that I've, you know, that I've believed, and this is something that happened very early on, uh, when I started my company and I had come to this, you know, my own little epiphany where, you know, we used to develop a lot. And, and I realized that we were much better off developing less. And, um, and, uh, and, and so, and I'll, exp I'll explain this so it makes sense, <laughs> but <laughs> that, that I remember like sitting there and we're talking about all, all, you know, a variety of ideas. And to me, Good shows don't sell. Good shows don't sell. Great shows have a hard time selling. So I said, I only want to pitch things that we are so excited about it that we go into these pitches 
at such a high level of enthusiasm and excitement. Those are the only shows we pitch. And I remember writing on a dry erase board. I went, develop less, pitch less, sell more. And, you know, to really focus and have your pitches so bulletproof and so locked in, nailed, nailed down, and to be so enthusiastic about what you take out that when you go out there and, you know, I'd like to say when, you, when an A. Smith & Co. show goes out there, it's not like we've been there last week saying this is the greatest show ever. You may not have seen us for a few months, but we're here. And this is why. And I find that to be a lot more effective and a lot more honest. And, um, and I think it results in more sales. So, um, yeah, I can't remember what the question was, but I think yeah, I'm, well, <laughs> I'm curious, like when it comes to pitching, a lot of the TV network owners obviously have their streaming services now and they've really built those up and they've also gone through these reorgs where they're, you know, I think Disney's probably one of the clearest examples where you have Kareem Daniel, who's, you know, basically heading up the entire media and entertainment division. And they're taking something of a hub and spoke model where they can, you know, figure out what the best distribution outlet of their properties for a show. Um, but it seems like there's still varying examples of how the TV networks are handling their streaming services versus their linear networks. And sometimes producers are going in and pitching a linear network. Um, linear network says no. And then the producer has to set up a separate pitch for the streaming team. And then in other cases, it's you pitch kind of all of them together. And so like in a, in a case like Welcome to Plathville with TLC, you can have that on TLC or it can be on Discovery Plus or at some point Discovery Plus HBO Max, whatever they decide to um, call it. And so how are you finding like how the buyers are set up on their ends, especially these buyers who are have TV networks and streaming services and who you're having to pitch? Yeah, I, I, well, I think you kind of said it in, in, in uh, part of your question uh, at certain places. You you pitch the you pitch the organization who have a streaming service and a network and a, and, and a bunch of cable networks and it's a competition show and it can go on any of those and you pitch th that person and they cover all of them and there are certain situations and certain you know the way um, certain uh, you know media companies are set up you have to pitch different people the same show so I think it's. It's uh, I I've seen both scenarios, so it's not it's not it's um, it's just it's just it's just the way it is. You know, the, the one thing the one thing as a producer that we, we never know <laughs> and we will never know is what is going on behind closed doors in terms of what what's important to them. So a lot of times we'll go in there and pitch something and they'll go, you know, we, we have something in this genre, but you know who could really use this our cable network. And so that. You know, that's just inside information that we don't have. So a lot of times we'll, a lot of times we will go in pitching to one, you know, what we think is a, is, is, uh, you know, one part of the family and then it ends up being a better fit on another part of the family. So that, you know, that happens. Um, what changes does that lead to on your end or with a project, whether it ends up on traditional TV or streaming? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's hard to make a generalization in that, but, but, you're, but it's a very good point and it's a valid point. There are things that sometimes you'll, sometimes it's a budget question is, can you do this for this? Because this, this entity can only afford to do this. Um, and, or how do you make it more docu and less this? Um, and that can happen. So 
Yeah, that, that's that's a, that, that, like I said, that's a very valid point because that is that's real. That happens all the time where you they you know you're excited that they flipped it to another network and you're but you're not excited about what you have to do to change the show or you are or you're energized or you are the other way is you're energized by it um, and um, and you and you just make the modifications uh, necessary. Um, are the streaming budgets generally higher or lower? It, it depends on the genre. So there's no, you can't, you can't say one is, you know, there are, there are shows that, that are on streamers that are higher than network television. There are shows that are on cable television that are more expensive than what a streamer is spending. So it depends on the genre, depends on the project, sometimes depends on the packaging, depends on, yeah, depends on a lot of things. Got it. Okay. And then, um, like, especially I think for unscripted programming, but, you know, programming in general, you know, there's been this whole back end to shows of you do a show like Hell's Kitchen and you can do a season of it in the U.S. and then you could you know sell it, sell its rights internationally and do that country by country. And it becomes a really nice um, financial aspect to it. But there has been something of a shift, especially with the streamers. I think Netflix is probably the example that people are most familiar with where Netflix likes to have long term global rights to shows, which. So they'll give a big paycheck up front, but they kind of eliminate a lot of that back end. How is this playing out today? Um, listen, the uh, every producer wants to keep as much of his back end as possible and wants to keep as many rights as possible. Every network or platform wants to have the same thing. Sure. <laughs> so it's all a question of leverage. It really is how many other people are interested in your project or how badly do they want it or um, and that's what it comes down to. It also comes down to who's bringing the project in too, which production company, which talent is attached. And uh, you have to, you have to know when to push for what you think is appropriate and you have to know when to be happy to make the sale. I'm just, I'm just being like, you know, totally honest about it in some, and, 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 you know, we as producers, and and especially me. I mean, listen, I I run a company, but I still sit in the chair in Hell's Kitchen every day in the control room, and I've been doing it for all these years, and and I love it, and that's why I got into the business. I'm a businessman, however, and and you know, the producer of me, I just want to make the so I just want to make the sale and produce the show. I'm so excited about just making the show, and so the business part of me goes not so fast. You know, look at the deal or look what you're giving up. And so it's, it's a constant, you know, um, balance between, you know, let's, let's make the show and it'll be a hit and we all benefit from hits. And, and, and at the same time, let's not close the, this deal because it just doesn't seem right considering what we bring in. So it's a battle. And, uh, it, like I said, it really comes down to, it really comes down to, to leverage and, and leverage is made up of a number of parts and, um, um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it feels even more complicated because you can have a show that may do well, um, but maybe doesn't get, you know, picked up or renewed. Um, but then you sell it somewhere else and all of a sudden it becomes a hit. I mean, American Ninja Warrior is one example of that. There's a whole litany of examples of, you know, traditional TV shows that Netflix has picked up. You is probably like one of the earliest examples of that. And there have been so many since then. Yeah, the two there was two networks that Ninja was on that don't exist. The show has outlasted the networks. Yeah, absolutely. Arthur, I know you have a lot going on. So before I let you go, like we've talked about 
the state of production today and like, you know, how far things have come over the past two years. Are there any like big trends or developments that you're expecting to see through the rest of 2022? Um, you know, with the amount of uh, content um, that, or the, the amount of opportunity that is out there for uh, a, um, a producer to, you know, to, to do right now. There's so many opportunities and there's so many genres being done. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't see real trends because there is a place to put things. There's a, there's a place somewhere. It used to be in the older days, you know, years ago, it used to be when you developed or game shows in or game shows out. Now there's, there's so many places to go that I don't think game shows are ever going to go out, you know? Um, but, but what I believe is, is more, I think about the audience and what the audience wants. And I'm, 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 um, a big believer in, um, staying away from programming that feels derivative and, and programming that feels the same. I'm also a big believer that today's audience wants things that are more authentic, um, and truer and, and more purposeful. Um, if it's a competition show, just for a competition show, you know, to me, that doesn't fly. It's just, it's just, and, and I think we all have to work harder. So I think the bar is higher than it's ever been before. And uh, the one thing that has stayed the same, and it's just harder now than ever before, is that this genre of unscripted programming has survived and has succeeded on breaking ground. And I think we can have to continue to do that. I imagine it helps that all the distributors' content budgets just seem to go be going up and up, like Paramount, you know, upped its you know, content budget um, over the next few years like a month ago. And I, I think generally this response from investors was, are you sure that's enough money? Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, we're still a business of hits. We're still a business of hits. And, and, you know, when you think of the history of, of the streamers and when they turned the corner and you think of the history of cable networks, you know, um, what was VH1 before behind the music and what was Netflix before house of cards and what was Apple TV before the morning show? And so you can you can usually point to that hit that that getting that big hit as being one of the the first things that creates momentum for you, and then uh, and then you have to follow it up. So um, there are times, um, and I always say this: there are times when um, companies, networks, platforms are dealing with different kind of money, and it's like. You know, years ago, a long, long time ago, the, you know, when Rupert Murdoch overpaid, which he didn't, but people thought he overpaid to get the NFL rights, he, he, he outbid whatever CBS by a few hundred million dollars. And everybody said he's going to lose money and he's crazy. What he did, what nobody realized is he was building the Fox network on the back of it. And what he also realized is that the asset value of his, all his affiliates and owned and operated stations, more, more, more to the point, were going to increase in value. And when you look back at the deal, it was genius and it was cheap. And for some of these networks and some of these platforms who are starting out, they need to have their hit. And so it is worth it for them to what may look like an overspend is actually really strategic. I like pitching those places. Sure, I can imagine. <laughs> Well, Arthur, really appreciate you coming on the show. Enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tim. Have a good day. 
And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.